Section five of In Our Convent Days. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. In Our Convent Days by Agnes Replier. Section five. Un congé sans cloche. We had only two or three of them in a year, and their slow approach stirred us to frenzy. In the dark ages, when I went to school, no one had yet discovered that play is more instructive than work no one was piling up statistics to prove the educational value of idleness in the absence of nature studies and athletics we were not encouraged to spend our lives out of doors in the absence of nerve specialists we were not entirely restrained from studying our lessons too hard it is wonderful how little apprehension on this score was felt by either mothers or teachers we had two months summer holiday july and august and a week at christmas time the rest of the year we went to school i have known parents so inhuman as to regret those unenlightened days but can the glorified little children whose lives seem now to be one vast and happy playtime can the privileged schoolgirls who are permitted to come to town for a matinee which sounds to me as fairy-like as cinderella's ball ever know the real value of a holiday as well expect an infant millionaire to know the real value of a quarter we to whom the routine of life was as inevitable as the progress of the seasons we to whom saturdays were as mondays and who grappled with church history and christian doctrine on pleasant sunday mornings we knew the mad tumultuous joy that thrilled through hours of freedom the very name which from time immemorial had been given to our convent holidays illustrated the fullness of their beatitude when one lives under the dominion of bells every hour rung in and out with relentless precision sans cloche means glorious saturnalia once a nervous young nun anxious at the wild scattering of her flock ventured on a conge to ring them back to bounds whereupon her bell was promptly though not unkindly taken away from her by two of the older girls and when the case was brought to court the mistress-general upheld their action a law was a law as binding upon its officers as upon the smallest subject in the realm the occasions for a congé sans cloche were as august as they were rare mother's feast by which we meant the saint's day of the superioress could always be reckoned upon the feast of st joseph was also kept in this auspicious fashion which gave us great devotion to so kind a mediator once or twice in the year the archbishop came to the convent and in return for our dresses our curtsies our baskets of flowers and songs of welcome always bravely insisted that we should have a holiday be sure and tell me if you don't get it he used to say which sounded charmingly confidential though we well knew that we should never have an opportunity to tell him anything of the kind and that we should never dare to do it if we had in the year of grace which i now chronicle the archbishop was going to rome and had promised to say good-bye to us before he sailed those were troubled times for rome even we knew that something was wrong though our information did not reach far beyond this point like the little girl who couldn't tell where glasgow was because she had not finished studying asia minor we were still wandering belated in the third crusade a far cry from united italy 
when elizabeth who had read the address said she wondered why the pope was called god's great martyr saint we could offer her very little enlightenment i understand that children now interest themselves in current events and ask intelligent questions about things they read in the newspapers for us the war of the roses were as yesterday and the crusades were still matters of deep concern berengaria of navarre had been the leading lady of our day's lesson and i had written in my compendium of history majestic phrase this interesting and comprehensive statement berengaria led a blameless life and after her husband's death retired to a monastery where she passed the remainder of her days it was in the middle of may when the archbishop came and as the weather was warm we wore our white frocks for the occasion very immaculate we looked ranged in a deep shining semicircle a blue ribbon around every neck and gloves on every folded hand it would have been considered the height of impropriety to receive ungloved a distinguished visitor as the prelate entered accompanied by the superioress and the mistress-general we swept him a deep curtsy oh the hours of bitter practice it took to limber my stiff little knees for those curtsies and then broke at once into a chorus of welcome with happy hearts we now repair all in this joyous scene to share there were five verses when we had finished we curtsied again and sat down while mary rawdon and eleanor hale played a nervous duet upon the piano the archbishop looked at us benignantly it was said of him that he dearly loved children but that he was apt to be bored by adults he had not what are called social gifts and seldom went beyond the common civilities of intercourse but he would play jack straws all evening with half a dozen children and apparently find himself much refreshed by the entertainment his eyes wandered during the duet to the ends of the semicircle where sat the very little girls as rigidly still as cataleptics wriggling was not then deemed the prescriptive right of children an acute observer might perhaps have thought that the archbishop seated majestically on his dais and flanked by reverend mother and madame baron glanced wistfully at these motionless little figures we were in truth as remote from him as if we had been on another continent easy familiarity with our superiors was a thing undreamed of in our philosophy the standards of good behavior raised an impassable barrier between us francis fenton made the address it was an honor once accorded to elizabeth but usually reserved as a reward for superhuman virtue not on that score had elizabeth ever enjoyed it francis was first blue ribbon first medallion and head of the children of mary there was nothing left for her but beatification she stepped slowly and with what was called a modest grace into the middle of the room curtsied and began your children's simple hearts would speak but cannot find the words they seek these tones no music spell can lend and eloquence would vainly come to greet our father guide and friend let hearts now speak and lips be dumb then why wasn't she dumb whispered tony aggressively but without changing a muscle of her attentive face i pretended not to hear her i had little enough discretion heaven knows but even i felt the ripe unwisdom of whispering at such a time it was mary rawdon's absence at the piano i may observe that placed me in this perilous proximity 
our reverence fond and hopeful prayer will deck with light one empty place and fill with love one vacant chair what chair asked tony and again i pretended not to hear for in regret can wear a softened grace and smiling hope in whispers low will oft this cherished thought bestow within the eternal city's sacred wall he who has blessed us in our convent hall can now to us earth's holiest blessing bring from god's great martyr saint rome's pontiff king at this point tony maddened by my unresponsiveness shot out a dexterous little leg i don't see how she dared to do it when our skirts were so short and with lightning speed kicked me viciously on the shins the anguish was acute but the sense of self-preservation saved me from so much as a grimace madame Varon's lynx-like gaze was travelling down our ranks and as it rested on me for an instant i felt that she must see the smart tony's expression was one of rapt and reverent interest by the time i had mastered my emotions and collected my thoughts the address was over and the archbishop was saying a few words about his coming voyage and about the holy father for whom he bade us pray then with commendable promptness he broached the important subject of the conge there was the usual smiling demure on reverend mother's part the children had so many holidays i like that snorted tony so many interruptions to their work it was so hard to bring them back again to quiet and orderly ways if she granted this indulgence we must promise to study with double diligence for the approaching examinations finally she yielded as became a dutiful daughter of the church the first of june ten days off was fixed as the date and we gave a hearty round of applause in token of our gratitude and relief after this we rather expected our august visitor to go away but his eyes had strayed again to the motionless little girls at the horns of the semicircle and as if they afforded him an inspiration he said something in low rather urgent tones to reverend mother something to which she listened graciously they will be only too proud and happy we heard her murmur and then she raised her voice children she said impressively his grace is good enough to ask that you should escort him to the woods this afternoon put on your hats and go this was an innovation put on our hats at four o'clock the hour for french class and walk to the woods with the archbishop it was delightful of course but a trifle awesome if in his ignorance he fancied we should gamble around him like silly lambs he was soon to discover his mistake our line of march more closely resembled that of the well-drilled army madame baron walked on his right hand and madame duncan on his left the ribbons the graduates and the few sedate girls from the first class closed into a decorous group half of them walking backwards a convent custom in which we were wonderfully expert the flanks of the army were composed of the younger and less distinguished girls while the small fry hovered on its borders out of sight and hearing we moved slowly without scattering and without obvious exhilaration i was occupied in freeing my mind in many bitter words to tony who defended her conduct on the score of my setting up for sainthood an accusation the novelty of which ought to have made it agreeable when we reached the lake a tiny sheet of water with a lilliputian island we came to a halt 
the archbishop had evidently expressed some desire or at least some readiness to trust himself upon the waves the boat was unmoored and francis fenton and ella holbrook rowed him carefully around the island while the rest of us were drawn up on the shore to witness the performance we made no doubt a very nice picture in our white frocks and blue neck ribbons but we were spectators merely still far remote from any sense of companionship when the boat was close to shore the archbishop refused to land he sat in the stern looking at us with a curious smile he was strikingly handsome a long lean noble-looking old man and he had a voice of wonderful sweetness and power it was said that even at sixty-five he sang the mass more beautifully than any priest in his diocese therefore it was a little alarming when he suddenly asked my children do you know any pretty songs oh yes your grace answered madame baron then sing me something said the archbishop still with that inscrutable smile there was a moment's hesitation a moment's embarrassment and then acting under instruction we sang or at least some of us did there was no music in my soul the canadian boat song and star of the sea appropriate both of them to the watery expanse before us ave maria we lift our eyes to thee ora pro nobis tis night far o'er the sea the archbishop listened attentively and with an evident pleasure that must have been wholly disassociated from any musical sense then his smile deepened would you like me to sing for you he said oh yes please we shrilled and madame baron gave us warning glances be very still children she admonished his grace is going to sing his grace settled himself comfortably in the boat his amused glance travelled over our expectant faces and sought as usual the little girls now close to the water's edge then he cleared his throat and as i am a christian gentlewoman and a voracious chronicler this is the song he sang in king arthur's reign a merry reign three children were sent from their homes were sent from their homes were sent from their homes and they never went back again the first he was a miller the second he was a weaver the third he was a little tailor boy these three big rogues together three big rogues together can't you join in the chorus children interrupted the archbishop come the last two lines of every verse the third he was a little tailor boy three rogues together three big rogues together our voices rose in a quavering accompaniment to his mellifluous notes we were petrified but even in a state of petrification we did as we were bidden the miller he stole corn the weaver he stole yarn and the little tailor boy he stole broadcloth to keep these three rogues warm chorus commanded the archbishop and this time our voices were louder and more assured and the little tailor boy he stole broadcloth to keep these three rogues warm the miller was drowned in his dam the weaver was hung by his yarn but the devil ran away with the little tailor boy with the broadcloth under his arm there was a joyous shout from our ranks we understood it all now the archbishop was misbehaving himself was flaunting his misbehavior in madame baron's face we knew very well what would be said to us if we sang a song like that without the archiepiscopal sanction and there was a delicious sense of impunity in our hearts 
as we vociferated the unhallowed lines but the devil ran away with the little tailor boy with the broadcloth under his arm then the archbishop stepped out of the boat and there was a timid scramble to his side the barriers were down he had knocked at our hearts in the devil's name and we had flung them wide the return to the convent was like a rout little girls wedging their way in among big girls in second course contesting every step of the path with the first course the most insignificant children lifted suddenly to prominence and distinction i was too shy to do more than move restlessly on the outskirts of the crowd but i saw tony conversing affably with the archbishop and looking as gentle as she was intelligent and viola milton kissing his ring with the assurance of an infant aloysius when he bade us good-bye we shouted and waved our handkerchiefs until he was out of sight he turned at the end of the avenue and waved his in a last friendly salutation that was very long ago i trust that in paradise the holy innocents are now bearing him company for i truly believe his soul would weary of the society of grown-up saints and our conge was only ten days off this thought was left to gild our waking hours we elizabeth marie tony lily emily and i resolved ourselves immediately into a committee of ways and means and voted all the money in the treasury for supplies it was not much but if well laid out it would purchase sweets enough to ensure a midnight pang the privilege of buying so much as a stick of candy was one rigidly reserved for holidays mary did our shopping for us mary was a hybrid a sort of uncloistered nun her out-of-date bonnet worn instead of a lay sister's close white cap proclaimed her as one free to come and go and her mission in life was to transact outside business to buy whatever was necessary or permitted the lay sisters did the work of the convent mary ministered to its needs we wrote down for her a list of delicacies one dozen oranges one box of figs one pound of caramels which were dear two pounds of walnut taffy three pounds of cinnamon bun a fair allowance i surmise for six well-fed little girls i tell you what i'll do said marie in an excess of generosity i'll save up my wine if you'll lend me bottles to put it in we felt this to be noble for some mysterious reason she was never known to be ill marie was sent every morning at eleven o'clock to the infirmary and at that unconvivial hour drank a solitary glass of wine it was port i believe or burgundy i am not sure which and i pray heaven i may never taste its like again now provided with half a dozen empty bottles which had erstwhile held toothwash and cologne she undertook to elude the infirmarian's eye and to decant her wine in these receptacles instead of putting it where it was due how she managed that we never knew it would have seemed difficult to a prestidigitator but marie was a child of resources second only to tony in her baleful art clever though we deemed her however clever though we sometimes deemed ourselves there was one in the school younger yet far more acute than any of us thursday was visitor's day and lily's brother came to see her after he had gone lily joined us in the avenue looking perturbed and mysterious i want to tell you something she said lamely viola has got some cigarettes jack gave them to her cigarettes 
dynamite could not have sounded more overwhelming cigarettes and in viola milton's keeping never had a whiff of tobacco defiled the convent air never had the thought of such unbridled license entered into any heart and viola was ten years old i know what that means said tony sharply she wants to come with us on the conge lily nodded it was plain that viola having possessed herself of a heavy bribe had persuaded her older sister to open negotiations well we won't have her cried tony vehemently not if she has all the cigarettes in christendom why on earth lily didn't you ask your brother for them yourself i never thought of such a thing pleaded lily i never even heard her do it well we won't have viola and you may go and tell her so repeated tony with mounting wrath go and tell her so right off we won't have a child of ten tagging round with us all day agnes is only eleven said lily how many cigarettes has she got it was elizabeth who asked this pertinent question i don't know jack gave her all he had it doesn't make any difference how many she has i won't have her flamed tony at this assertive i elizabeth lifted her head her light blue eyes met tony's sparkling brown ones it was not the first time the two children had measured their forces we'll see anyhow what viola's got said elizabeth calmly lily being dispatched to make inquiries returned in two minutes with her little sister by her side viola was a bony child all eyes and teeth as ugly as lily was beautiful her sombre glance was riveted wistfully upon elizabeth's face she was too wise to weaken her cause with words but held out eleven little white objects at which we looked enviously seven from eleven leaves four murmured emily i don't want any said viola who was bidding high she would have bartered her immortal soul to gain her point and i don't want more than one said lily that will leave two apiece for the rest of you well asked lily looking round the circle oh do let's have them i urged dazzled by a sudden vision of debauchery they'll be just the thing to go with the wine they were just the thing we found this out later on oh yes let's have them said marie who felt the responsibilities of a hostess let's said emily our silent member i won't asseverated tony battling heroically for a lost cause i won't have anything to do with the treat if you let viola in then don't retorted elizabeth now sure of victory and scornful of further dispute tony turned her back upon her vernal friends and marched off to another group of girls there was no great novelty about this proceeding but the imminence of the conge lent it an unwonted seriousness don't you suppose she'll play cache-cache with us asked marie somewhat ruefully and very aware of what we should lose if she did not of course she will said elizabeth because she can't play without us and elizabeth was right before the first of june tony had come round being persuaded to this condescension by lily the peacemaker every cluster of friends should look to it that there is one absolutely sweet-tempered person in the group but one is enough the first glorious thing about a conge was that we got up at seven instead of at a quarter past six and the next was that we began to talk before we were out of our beds 
breakfast was so hilarious that only the fear of wasting our precious hours ever dragged us from the refectory and up into the schoolroom to prepare for the special features of the day kush, kush. we never played kush, kush except upon a holiday which was why it seemed such a thrilling and wonderful game no indulgence was likely to lose its value for us through unwarranted repetition two captains were chosen by acclamation and they in turn elected their girls picking them out alternately one by one until the whole second course was divided into two bands of about twenty each one band remained shut up in the music-room which was goal for half an hour while the other betook itself to the most secret and inaccessible spot that could be thought of as a hiding-place the captain might stay with her band and direct its action or she might be hidden separately but no one except the captain was permitted to stray from the ranks for purposes of reconnoitering the same rule held good for the searching party the captain alone might play the scout the rest were obliged to hold together the capture of the hidden captain counted as half the game the capture of the hidden band before it could reach its goal counted as the other half of the game thus the hiders were forced either to dispense with the invaluable services of their leader or to risk the loss of the whole game if she were surprised in their company so much indeed depended upon the leader's tactics and so keen was our thirst for victory that the girl who saved the day for herself and for her comrades was held in higher esteem than the girl who came out ahead in the periodical blistering of examinations college valuations are perhaps not so absolutely modern as they seem given an area of over a hundred acres with woods and orchards with a deep ravine choked with tangled underbrush for concealment and with wide lawns for an open run and kosh kosh becomes or at least it became for us a glorious and satisfying sport to crouch breathless in the poisonous valley there was a touch of poetry in all our nomenclature to skirt cautiously the marshy ground of la salette named after the miraculous spring of dauphine to crawl on our stomachs behind half a mile of inadequate hedge within the full view of the pursuing party these things supplied all the trepidation and fatigue all the opportunities for generalship and all the openings for dispute that reasonable children could demand we hardly needed the additional excitement provided by eloise didier's slipping into the marsh and being fished out a compact cake of mud or by tony's impiously hiding in the organ-loft of the chapel and being caught red-handed by madame duncan a nun whom thank heaven it was possible though difficult to cajole we played all morning and all afternoon played until our strength and our spirits were alike exhausted and then when the shadows began to lengthen and our vivacity to wane we made ready for the mad carousel which was to close our day a basement music-room as remote as possible from any chance of inspection was chosen as the scene of revelry it was not a cheerful spot but it appeared reasonably safe hither we transported our feast which spread out upon a piano presented a formidable appearance and restored us to gaiety and good humour the advantage of childhood over riper years is its blessed slowness to recognise a failure if a thing starts out to be a treat why it is a treat and that's the end of it the cinnamon bun was certainly stale mary had it was plain consulted her own convenience as to the day of its purchase but heaven forbid that we should balk at staleness 
oranges and caramels figs and walnut taffy present to the thinking mind an inharmonious combination but that was a point on which we were to be subsequently enlightened as for marie's wine it can be readily imagined what it was like after lying around for a warm may week in imperfectly corked tooth-wash bottles i can only say that no medicine it had been my lot to taste was ever half so nasty yet those were days when all drugs were of uncompromising bitterness an effete civilization had not then devised gelatine capsules to defraud the palate of its pain we ate everything cake fruit and candy we drank the wine heroic young souls and trembling with excitement we lit the cigarettes a more difficult matter than we had imagined i had not waited until this point to dream my weird excessive fatigue is but an indifferent preparation for unwanted indulgence and i was a sickly child to whom only the simplicity and regularity of school life lent a semblance of health ominous sensations were warning me of my deadly peril but i held straight on suddenly marie who had been smoking with silent fortitude said sweetly it's a shame viola shouldn't have one of her own cigarettes i'll give her my second she can have one of mine too said emily thank you returned viola hastily i don't want any i gave them to you oh do try one urged marie yes do said tony sardonically do try one viola they are anxious enough to get rid of them she flung this taunt at the crowd but her eye met mine with a challenge i would not evade i want my second one i said valor met valor so do i smiled tony from this point my recollections are vague we talked about madame de vide and whether she really did not understand english or only pretended not to a point which had never been satisfactorily settled we talked about madame Boron and her methods which we deemed unworthy of finding out all she knew i added little to the sprightliness of the conversation and after a while i slipped away on the stairs a kindly fate threw me into the arms of sister o'neill who had charge of the vestry and who was carrying piles of clean linen to the dormitories she was a friendly soul nearly all the lay sisters were good to us and she took possession of me then and there when i was safe in bed collapsed but comforted she sprinkled me with holy water and tucked the light covers carefully around me lie quiet now she said i'll go tell madame rayburn where you are and that there was no time to ask leave of anybody i did lie very quiet and after a while fell into a doze from which the sound of footsteps woke me someone was standing at the foot of my bed it was tony she looked a trifle more sallow than usual but was grinning cheerfully i'm better now she said the delicate emphasis on the now was like a condensed epic so am i i murmured confidentially tony disappeared and in a few minutes was back again comfortably attired in a dressing-gown and slippers she perched herself on the foot of my bed hasn't it been a perfect conge she sighed happily oh blessed memory of youth if you'd seen madame duncan though when i came stealing out of the chapel without a veil too what does this mean tony she said it isn't possible that there was an abrupt pause well i asked expectantly though i had heard it all several times already but tony's eyes were fixed on the little pile of clean linen lying on my chair 
oh i say she cried and there was a joyous ring in her voice here's our chance let's change all the girls washes i gazed at her with heartfelt admiration to have passed recently through so severe a crisis a crisis which had reduced me to nothingness and yet to be able instantly to think of such a charming thing to do not for the first time i felt proud of tony's friendship her resourcefulness compelled my homage had we been living in one of mr james's novels i would have called her great and wonderful get up and help said tony i stumbled out of bed and into my slippers my head felt curiously light when i lifted it from my pillow and i had to catch hold of my curtain-rod for support the dormitory floor heaved up and down tony was already at work carrying the linen from one side of the room to the other and i staggered weakly after her there were thirty beds so it took us some time to accomplish our mission but the labor we delight in physics pain and it was with a happy heart and a sense of exalted satisfaction that i saw the last pile safe in the wrong alcove and crawled back between my sheets something happened something done to earn a night's repose tony sat on my bed and we talked confidentially until we heard the girls coming upstairs then she fled and i awaited developments they entered more noisily than was their wont the law ruled that a conge came to an end with night prayers after which no word might be spoken but it was hard to control children who had been demoralized by a long day of liberty moreover the seven dollars dormitory was ever the most turbulent of the three its inmates lacking the docility of the very little girls in the equanimity of the big ones they were all at what is called the troublesome age there was a note of anxiety in madame chapelle's voice as she hushed down some incipient commotion i must have perfect silence in the dormitory she said you talked all day now you must go quietly to bed do you hear me children silence there was a lull and then i knew it must soon come a voice from the far end of the room i have thirty-seven's clothes everything was marked with our school numbers instead of mine mary aylmer be quiet commanded madame chapelle but madame i tell you truly i have thirty-seven's clothes who is thirty-seven i am cried another voice eloise didier's but i haven't got your clothes mary aylmer i've got alice campbell's here alice twenty-two come take your things who is thirty-three ruffled nightgown with two buttons off oh shame sang out marie jubilantly children will you be silent said madame chapelle angry and bewildered what do you mean by such behavior forty-two stockings want darning said a reproachful voice it was very probable for i was forty-two so do thirty-eights adelaide h m c c harrison elizabeth read slowly and with painstaking precision haven't you any more initials adelaide you could have put on your underclothes look again elizabeth surely there's a coronet somewhere interposed eloise didier sardonically adelaide was not popular in our community three coronets a sceptre and a globe said elizabeth children began madame chapelle but her voice was lost in the scurrying of feet as girl after girl darted across the polished floor to claim her possessions or to rid herself of someone else's 
they were i well knew devoutly grateful for this benign confusion and were making the most of it fate did not often throw such chances in their way for a moment i felt that noble joy which in this world is granted only to successful effort to the accomplishment of some well-planned well-executed design then silence fell suddenly upon the room and i knew though i could not see that every girl was back in her own alcove may i ask the meaning of this disorder said madame rayborn coldly she was surveillante and was making the round of the dormitories to see that everything was quiet after the day's excitement madame chapelle began a nervous explanation there was some mistake about the laundry none of the children had their own clothes they were trying rather noisily she admitted to exchange them was it possible that sister o'neill sister o'neill interrupted madame rayburn impatiently sister o'neill had nothing to do with it answer me quietly children did you all find you had someone else's clothes there was a murmur of assent a polite subdued apologetic sort of murmur but none the less of universal assent at that instant i remembered sister o'neill's parting words to me and with the instinctive impulse of the ostrich slid deeper in my little bed a quick step crossed the dormitory a firm hand drew my curtain agnes said madame rayburn in a terrible voice ah well anyway the conge was over end of section five